Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. And we got question 49. 49. Of Trace fi- Moss. 52. What's that? Trace, Trace Moss. What's Three that? Three to go. Three to go. Oh, Three okay. more. Nice. Okay. Yeah. My Spanish is, I was going to say my Spanish is rusty, but my Spanish is non-existent, actually. Yeah. is what it is. Well, uh, that's for our Spanish listening audience. Okay. Okay. That'd be great. Um, yeah. If we had that. Wouldn't it be? <laughs> <laughs> if that existed. <laughs> or or what? Listening audience in general. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Question 49. Ooh. Where is Christ now? Spicy. Where is he? Spicy. Is he over here? Is he over there? Why does it matter? Okay, well, why does it matter? I mean, after his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Jesus hung out for a little bit, and then he left for like 2,000 years. Right. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? What's he doing? What's he up to? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, there's so much going on in our world. There's so much, so many ups and downs, so many difficult situations and all sorts of nonsense going on in the world around us. So, like, what's he up to? Mm-hmm. Where he at? Right. And... And I would say this matters mm-hmm. because, uh, and, and the reason I said spicy, I think most people would listen to that and be like, that's not. Doesn't seem spicy. But it is. Okay. Uh, there are huge implications on our Christian worldview mm-hmm. and how we read scripture based off of this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say right up front, by and large, tertiary issues. Sure. But they are massive. Yeah. They're yeah. like really big minor issues. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, they're they're minor issues but they they can have significant implications right. in how we understand the world around us. Mm-hmm. Right? I think is 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 fair to say. And I think a lot of people who are going to agree with us as we unpack this answer mm-hmm. might not carry that agreement into their worldview maybe yeah and so maybe th- this can be an encouragement for people to be reminded of a thing that is true and take that truth into their worldview into how they see the things around them yeah it, it's going to have eschatological in times implications sure and uh that's where people can get spicy about their end times oh yes they can so, <laughs> how does it go wrong? <laughs> okay, so I don't have a, a long list for this one because I didn't want to be too exhaustive. So may, maybe you have some, you'll have some things to add as well. Um, I think the first way it goes wrong is just that we, we sort of fail to consider it at all mm-hmm. about where Christ is, right? Um, there's maybe with, for some people... This whole idea of where Jesus is and what he is up to is largely irrelevant until he returns. Right. Right? Um, He's up doing a thing somewhere, but it doesn't matter. We're just struggling through as the world is falling apart, going to hell in a handbasket, and we're kind of on our own, and, you know, we don't really care where Jesus is at until he's back here. Mm -hmm. 
that that is you know and there's probably a lot of people who would say that right but i think a lot of us you know even ourselves sometimes there there are moments where we operate in that kind of mindset yeah you know when i was of a different eschatological position i i kind of had the idea that jesus was just sort of standing there waiting Mm -hmm. waiting for the trumpet to sound Mm -hmm. and not really doing anything other than watching and waiting Mm -hmm. but like he's just in some like cosmic green room waiting for his moment to take the stage yeah right um or yeah i mean now all of a sudden a bunch of different analogies popped into my head that were better than that one but no that was a good one i'll go with that that. i'll go with that that one yeah other ways um i think okay this isn't necessarily a entirely wrong way but it's an incomplete way okay okay so if i can kind of preface it that way jesus lives in us or jesus is living in us invited into our hearts (laughs) not entirely wrong he does indwell us through his spirit Mm -hmm. so i think when we i think it's it's more appropriate to understand the indwelling of the spirit right the spirit who is the spirit of christ and the father within that kind of trinitarian um god triune godhead right so sure christ christ dwells in us that is that is biblical and true via his spirit but we need to remember that jesus is actually somewhere right now right right not like like living through us vicariously through the spirit alone but but in his resurrected body is actually in a location present And that's that was the one that I was going to put emphasis on, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that Jesus is here, here mm-hmm. and now, which brings a problem to his return. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh boy, this is just going to be a spicy episode all around. Okay. Evangelical Christianity, our brand, mm-hmm. can become... You're already laughing, so you know where this... <laughs> maybe you don't know where this is going. Maybe you're just hoping that I put my foot in my mouth. I've got an idea can become hyper-Christ-focused. And that is to say, we focus on Christ at the expense of the Father and the Spirit. I think that's fair. And we apply the work and worship due the other two to Christ. At times, yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. And so, so that's what you're saying when you talk about Him being in our hearts. Yeah, the indwelling. Yeah. Right. Is the Spirit. Christ told us, mm-hmm. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to do that. Yeah, because I'm not going to be there. I'm sending right. this one to be there in my place. I'm leaving mm-hmm. so that he can come. And it will be a benefit to you. Right. Right. And so so there are times when we become hyper-Christ-focused where we call the Holy Spirit Christ. Mm-hmm. But they're different persons. Mm-hmm. Or we focus our worship as the end goal to mm-hmm. Christ, mm-hmm. who said he came by the will of the Father to do the work of the Father to point us to the Father, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is not to minimize Christ, mm-hmm. but to say that we should give the Spirit and the Father their due worship mm-hmm. and not presume 
all of our focus to be Christ himself. Yeah. And I think we can do that because Christ himself does that in his Absolutely. ministry, right? And so, instructs it. Yeah, so it's not that we're we're trying to minimize or de-emphasize who Christ is and what he's done and what he's accomplished. And and scripture um, puts a lot on, on Jesus, actually. When we see that the Son is involved in all sorts of things, including creation and, and a number of other things that happen. Um, but Jesus himself talks about the Father in particular ways, talks about the Spirit in particular ways. And I think it's okay. If, if we're wanting to emulate Christ, if we're wanting to be like him, then it's okay to put the emphasis on those persons as he did, right? I think in prayer, not that there's anything necessarily inherently wrong with di- directing our prayers directly to Jesus, but Jesus, when teaching us to pray, teaches that they ought to be directed to the Father. Right. So, so there's things like that that I think... Again, we we just I think you're right. We just need to not not get overly simplistic in in our understanding of the Godhead and understanding that there is there are there is a somewhat of a distinction of roles within that within that unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe overemphasize is a wrong way to put it because sure, yeah, because that brings you? that brings this notion of needing to minimize to make things right. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, but maybe maybe appropriate emphasis where they belong. Sure. Right? Yeah. Instead of stacking everything into one cart, mm-hmm. realize there are three carts mm-hmm. to receive mm-hmm. from here. Yeah. Anything else that you have for how it goes wrong? Cause, I don't cause really know. Mine. I yep. don't really have anything else. Okay. Then, what does the catechism say? The catechism says... Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day after his death and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom and interceding for us until he returns to judge and renew the whole world. Let's take it in its parts. Let's take it in its parts. Part one. Christ rose bodily from the grave. The resurrection of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, foundational Christian truth. Absolutely. Paul, Paul says, if it's not true, then we are to be pitied above all men. If right. it didn't happen, then there is, there, there's no hope, right? Because Christ's resurrection from the dead is the precursors, not even the, the right way. It is the, it is the model by which it is the means by which we have a hope for resurrection. Firstborn of the resurrected. Yeah, exactly. So there's a sense in which, that is is key as we as we're unpacking where Christ is now. He resurrected bodily, right? Right. I I, w- I would say like this. I would say when John talks about the miracles, he calls them signs, and the point of those signs is that we would understand the that the message that Jesus brings comes with authority, mm-hmm. and so when he says all will be healed, he heals, mm-hmm. and the ultimate expression of that. Is his resurrection? Yeah, um, and and to, interestingly enough, at at a scholarly level, this is accepted as a historical fact by most, and and that's not to say because it's also in agreement with me. I'm going to say most, literally, most historians will recognize the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a undeniable historical fact Mm. how it happened why it happened they would say is debatable 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't lead them necessarily to faith, but they will mark it as an undeniable historical fact mm-hmm. uh, based on the evidences available before, during, and after the actual event mm-hmm. and the response of the people uh, that were in his his camp. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah. so there is that bodily resurrection from the grave mm-hmm. on the third day that is a part of where he is now. Yeah. Not f- to say yes. not dead and in the grave. Yes, because as we look at the time then between his resurrection and his ascension, he's meeting with the apostles, right? Mm-hmm. They're touching him. He's eating with them. He is living in a physical body. Now, this physical body, it seems to us, can operate beyond the limits of our physical bodies. There's a sense in which this resurrected body is different than ours, but there's also a sense in which it is similar to ours. I mean, he's eating food, Mm -hmm. right? Like one who can eat food is the resurrected Christ in his glorified state, Um, which, you know, gives me hope that there's going to be tasty food in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm excited for that. Um, And, and I think he eats fish. Does he eat fish? So maybe that means there's meat in heaven? I we don't know. We know that he cooks fish. He cooks fish. That's on true. On the side of the beach. Yeah. There is a statement in Isaiah that says, uh, that talks about the feast to come. Mm-hmm. It says, food's rich with marrow. Ooh, that's good. I don't think celery has marrow. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it is. Maybe it's some kind of like spiritual beyond meat. So that doesn't require death in order for the meat to be there. I don't. I don't know. But you know what? Even even vegetarians have to kill to eat. Oh yeah, we all do, right? So that is the, the the situation of our world, right? Yeah. You don't so plow be, fields without killing some mice, or or killing the plant. I guess there's yeah, sure, right? Yeah. Like why be a speciesist? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, oh. so how, how, why are we here? Anyway, however, there is <laughs> sustenance. I, <laughs> I don't Sorry. believe, I don't believe that enjoying food, <laughs> enjoying food is a portion of the fall. Surely yes. it existed before. Yes. It existed in Eden. That's why they ate the fruit because they saw that it was good for food. Yeah. Amen. Anyway. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Let's, let's move <laughs> back to where is okay. Christ now? So Christ ascends. Christ ascends, right? In Acts 1, he promises the Holy Spirit. He tells the disciples they're going to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then he rises up and the disciples are watching and they're just kind of standing there awkwardly watching. An angel shows up and says, hey guys, like Christ is in heaven. Like you can stop looking. That's up. the end of the show, boys. Yeah. Now go do your thing. Right. Right. Um, so that, so there's an ascension that happens. He is caught up. Um into the heavens, wherever, you know, wherever those heavens are located. Um, probably I would, I would argue probably it on a realm or a level of existence beyond our kind of our known universe as we perceive it. Um, alter dimension. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Philippians two speaks to this mm. because of his obedience. He was given a name that is above every name that mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue would confess and heaven and earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it is mentioned in acts, mm-hmm. the stoning of Stephen. Yes. He sees Stephen sees him seated at the right hand of the father. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are, these are elements of scriptural witness mm-hmm. that he is seated 
at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, and this 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 picture of him being seated, this sitting down, you know, after he had uh, made um, propitiation for our sins, he sat down. This sitting down has a sense of completion to it. Mm-hmm. When the work is done, you sit down, right? And it's a it the, the right hand of the Father is is a place of highest favor and honor. Right. That's something right. that might be lost on us in our culture, but was not lost in the original audience. Um, and this phrase, the right hand of God, is actually used throughout the Old Testament to designate God's creating and redemptive power. One example of this in Isaiah 48, 13, uh, my hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. And that's just one of multiple instances where there's this imagery of the right hand of God operating in these magnificent ways in these authoritative ways mm-hmm. um, and so when you have to understand for the especially for the original audience reading the gospels or reading the book of Acts reading even the epistles who would have been deeply familiar for the most part with the Old Testament scriptures when they when they read seated at the right hand of the father they know exactly what that means right 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 and I would I would note seated, meaning a work completed, mm-hmm. does not equal to retired. No, no. It is not that he has dropped the mic mm-hmm. and sat down and has nothing that he is doing or will do in the future. So he is seated, but not retired. Yeah. Because what he is doing is ruling his kingdom mm-hmm. and interceding for us. Yeah. This is where the spice kicks in. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, not unfortunately, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to throw it out there. Do it. Uh, there are three general ways with which people understand the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. There is premillennialism, mm-hmm. all millennialism, and post-millennialism. Mm-hmm. We're going to divide those three into two portions. Sure. Say there are two versions of premillennialism, and we're going to put all millennialist and post-millennialist together mm-hmm. on this where is Christ now argument. You believe that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair, especially in regards to this this question in particular. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so premillennialist, that is where we get into some of the waiting room Mm-hmm. conversation. What is Jesus doing right now? They would argue he's interceding. Sure. Uh, on our behalf, there's no, that's universally understood yeah. to be true. Uh, but they believe that when the Bible talks about the millennial reign of Christ, mm-hmm. that it is when Jesus returns, establishing a thousand year kingdom on this earth, that he is ruling. Mm-hmm. And so he is now waiting in anticipation not only for his coming back for judging, mm-hmm. which is universally a part of everyone's eschatology, but mm-hmm. actually, but that rule as well. Yeah. Whereas all millennialists and post-millennialists, mm-hmm. of which is our camp, mm-hmm. you not universally, but you and I, you and specifically, I, yeah. Yeah, you and I, uh, believe that he that the thousand years is not a literal 999 years plus one, Mm -hmm. but is the biblical measure of a long time, Mm -hmm. as thousand is used throughout scripture, um, and that he now 
is ruling. Mm-hmm. And when he returns, it will be to judge a final judgment. Yeah. But he is now spiritually ruling over the earth. Yeah. And and leading that kingdom. Yeah. And 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 part of the reasoning for that conviction comes from the words of Christ himself. Um, as he's leading up to the Great Commission, right before he gives the Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to has me. Has been. Yeah. So it's past tense, and now he has it. Um, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Right. So it's not, there's not a sense in which it's only in the future that he will wrestle the authority for earth from Satan um, and there's going to be some kind of, you know, cosmic boxing match. He's already achieved that. Um, now, what people might be prone to say is, well, how can Jesus be reigning with the authority of the earth when we see bad things continuing to happen? Right? We see evil in our world. We see all these things. I would remind those of a future millennial view that within that perspective— even when you know it's it's Christ on a throne in Jerusalem for a, a literal thousand years, mm-hmm. there's also sin and rebellion and evil that sparks up a whole a whole conflict. Right. So, so I mean, I I think the thing to do is to not mistake the renewed heaven and earth, mm-hmm. the new heavens and the new earth, mm-hmm. post judgment, mm-hmm. with the millennial reign of Christ. Mm-hmm which is are different times and events mm-hmm. across the board. Yeah. There's right. there's no group that sees them as one thing. Yep. And so to argue that now cannot be the millennial reign of Christ because these things are going over is to say it can't be the millennium because it's not the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. Which is saying well it can't be an apple because it's an orange. We would say of course. Right. Right. Um, So and and we would we would also point out, as you did, to say that's universally accepted. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And so the author of this catechism is writing from either an all millennial or a post millennial view, probably an all millennial view, probably all millennial, uh, because it seems right. Um, (laughs) 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 Got to get my jabs. It's all good. I can take it. Uh, Yeah. And, and so, and so that idea that he is now ruling and reigning, mm-hmm. um, I I think is a point of of where we should take comfort. Yeah, the work is finished; mm-hmm. it has been accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, the victory is won. Mm-hmm. We're just waiting for that final judgment to take place in His time. Yeah, there's there's a sense in which like Christ is. Well, here, here, let me let me actually read a, a brief passage. So, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament is Psalm one ten. Mm-hmm. R- Jesus quotes it to kind of oh, okay, okay, okay. Jesus quotes it to stump the Pharisees, right? Where he's like, "Well, who is David talking about when he said, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, right?" And so, essentially, what David, what the psalmist David is um, recording is something that in the spirit he he witnesses in a sense this this conversation between father and son in this situation where the lord jesus is called up to 
God the Father and to, to sit at his right hand until his enemies are made a footstool. And in verse 2 of Psalm 110, the Lord sends forth from Zion, rule your, um, sends forth from, uh, from Zion, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. So there's a sense in which Christ's rule is occurring in spite of the fact that there are enemies continuing to live on the earth, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's not like, it. it's Christ's reign in the midst of this kind of ongoing struggle and battle and, and redemptive work that is happening that is a precursor, a prelude to the new heavens and earth, which come once he, once he returns. Right. Um, so that's kind of the idea. Um, and so uh, anyway, so just that, that old Testament passage is very significant in, in this conversation and, and for the new Testament authors, multiple new Testament authors quote that passage, um, as, as, you know, something significant to bolster who Christ is and what he's doing and where he is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that rule, continues until his return where he finalizes mm-hmm. all things through the judgment mm-hmm. and we have new heavens and new earth. Yeah. Also universally accepted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So True. so I would say that um that thing that people want to get spicy about that that is just the millennium. When is the millennium? That's the real de- that's the real debate. As Dougie likes to say, it's a thousand years of peace that people have been arguing about for 2000 years. <laughs> um <laughs> I would say funny, but historically inaccurate. That's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it hasn't been it hasn't that really controversial been. until the last couple hundred years. Yeah, which we'll talk about next year. Next year in the history around podcast. this time of year, <laughs> right? Because it'll take that long to get there. Take that long to get there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and so, and so this this millennial group the, the time whether it's a, a him returning or not the reason it matters to this question because because this is going to feel like a whole lot of tangent sure but when the question is where is christ now mm-hmm. we are going to tag onto that as does the catechism what is he doing mm-hmm. where is he and why is he there mm-hmm. um to which i would say he is at the right hand of the father reigning over the kingdom amen that's what that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And and even even if a pre-mill wanted to come and say, um, well, he's awaiting the, r- the rain, I would say, I disagree, but ultimately we end in the same spot. That's true. Right? Mm-hmm. What, we're, what we're doing is we're taking things that Scripture explains to us in part, and we are doing the best we can mm-hmm. with the parts that we've been given. Mm-hmm. And because it is not explicit— we will come to different ideas mm-hmm. so long as they end in the same place and give glory to God mm-hmm. and God alone. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's okay for us. And that's why I said, mm-hmm. even though these are, these are big things, I think they're emotionally big, mm-hmm. but they're theologically tertiary. Sure. And there's a sense in which all the views are kind of optimistic in the long run oh yeah right because they all all at least all those those major views that we've we've discussed they finish with christ returning and and establishing the new heavens and the new earth right and us living in perfect communion with him and with one another forever so there's a sense in which there is a shared optimism the that the the ending it's it's there's a there's a divide on how we think we're going to get there in the meantime but there's not really any division 
on where it ends and what we get to enjoy with each other. And, and I, you know, and I, we've discussed this before, but you know, eschatology is the kind of thing that I think it's important to hold a little looser, a little looser mm-hmm. than other points of doctrine, because, because one, it, 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 contrary to what some people of all perspectives might claim, it, it is unclear and there are viable arguments, biblical arguments for the different views and godly intelligent people have held to these different views um and can defend them mm-hmm. and so we have to say as i see it this is what i think it looks like and this is what i believe to be true based on the evidence that i see from scripture but ultimately um i hold that with a degree of humility because we could get to the end and it can look very different than than what i anticipated yeah and likely will and I, I think I think the pushback to that is going to be if you're if you're going to hold it with an open hand like that, then what's going to happen is you're not going to be preparing people. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh I I in my ordination, I had someone really hammer on eschatological position mm. and say, if you don't hold firmly and decisively to a particular position, because at the time I I was more open than I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, it affects the way you teach the rest of Scripture. Mm. And you can't preach the Word of God unless you define yourself hmm. in a camp of this. Hmm. To which I would say, preparation for the end times is not about charts and events. Mm-hmm. It's about the gospel. Amen. Knowing Christ as your personal savior, dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following him mm-hmm. is preparation yeah. for the coming of Christ. Yeah. Who's in a better situation? The one who can predict how the events are going to play out, but is not in Christ or the one who's in Christ who has no idea how things are going to play out. And the reality is that when scripture talks about it, you know, there, there, Jesus talks about being watchful and seeing, right. He talks about signs. Now there's debate over whether or not, you know, that passage is talking about something that was to happen shortly after within that same generation before that generation passed away. Or was he talking about something future? Or was he talking about both, whatever it might be, but ultimately it is trusting in the Lord. It's being aware of who he is and how he operates in the world. And it's being obedient and trusting in him until he comes. Right. That is our task. And so whether you are all-mill, post-mill, pre-mill, dispensational, historical, whatever it might be, trust in Jesus and mm-hmm. and look forward to the hope that we have in him. And that is how you are ready. Yeah, I'm going to run that statement you made a little further. Mm. The idea that who's more prepared, the one who can predict when it's going to happen or the one who is just trusting in him, mm-hmm. to say the two aren't mutually exclusive. Right. I know you weren't saying that. Yeah, sure. Uh, but to say the one who is trusting in him and can predict the future, I would argue has no advantage over the one who is simply trusting in him and isn't able to predict the future. I would agree, actually, yeah. Um, they will be saved in the same way, by mm-hmm. grace through faith. Amen. I would also add to that Ephesians 1, 20 through 21, the passage given in the catechism. He raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Hmm.
good stuff. That's why I believe what I believe mm-hmm. about where he is and what he's doing as an all millennial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. Look forward to your emails. This podcast <laughs> is a resource at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. Take care, everyone. Hope we see you next time. <laughs>